Let me offer three words, a word of gratitude, a tribute, and a homily sermon on our Lenten journey together. First, a word of gratitude for the invitation to preach in this distinguished pulpit. It's no ordinary symbol of the preached word in Durham. I'm grateful as well to Dean Powery, to Carol Gregg, congregation's pastor, to Bruce Puckett, and the, the entire staff of the Duke Chapel and the congregation at Duke Chapel, not only for the invitation, but also for their commitment to engagement with Durham. For those of us working in the Office of Durham Affairs, with Dr. Stephanie Williams as the Vice President, we in that office are very proud to partner with Duke Chapel and the congregation in your commitment to serve and not be served. The last time I had the opportunity to step up into these pulpits, steps into this pulpit, is when I had the challenge to deliver the funeral homily for Dr. Failwin Jr. He retired from the Office of Durham and Regional Affairs on July the 1st and sadly died suddenly 23 days later. For me and for those who worked closely with him for 27 years at Durham Technical Community College and for the 10 years he worked as Vice President here at Duke University, we remember him, we cherish his memory and his gift to our community. He loved the ministry of this chapel and its commitment to religio et eruditio. We begin together the Lenten journey in earnest after Ash Wednesday on this, the first Sunday of Lent. That reading from Deuteronomy contains two admonitions to the Jewish people put on the lips of Moses to reinforce their importance. First, the people are to proclaim the story of their deliverance at God's hand over and over again across the centuries. And secondly, they are to gather often and bring their offerings before the Lord as an expression of gratitude for that deliverance, that exodus from slavery into freedom. This early command given to the Jewish people to speak words of remembrance, the story of their deliverance, and to embody their gratitude in ritualized behavior is at the heart of their history, of their identity, and their faith. The Apostle Paul, in the epistle lesson, speaks to an audience in Rome about this consciousness of salvation from the Lord God. That's the background in which Paul addresses these words that you just heard read so well. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It was Paul's encounter with the story of Jesus that allowed him to recognize this familiar pattern. The Lord who had delivered Paul's ancestors 
we heard in Deuteronomy, was the same God at work in, human, in the human journey of Jesus, a God who continues to offer salvation to all who know in their heart and confess on their lips that God raised Jesus from the dead. In the gospel narrative of the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Luke carefully crafted his story to echo this familiar pattern. Jesus knows in his heart that God and God alone delivers and rescues us from all the perils of our human journey. And that knowledge allows him to confess with his lips as he quotes scripture to the tempter and resists every temptation presented to him. Fresh from his baptism by John, Jesus is led into the desert for 40 days, a clear echo of the Jews' 40 days of desert temptation. And there in a landscape of symbolic wilderness, the humanity of Jesus is reduced to helplessness. He is hungry. He is famished. He wrestles with demons for, of desire to satisfy his most human needs. Jesus even feels the, the, the pull of a lust for power and control, the, the seductive attraction to those false idols of wealth, of comfort, of status, of recognition and approval. And each time he is tested, Jesus remains firm in his, in his heart's knowledge that God alone saves. In the face of every temptation, Jesus heeds the command of Moses, and from his lips comes forth the ancient Jewish story that God is ever faithful. God alone will deliver the people. God alone is the one in whom we must trust. For Luke and for Paul, this human journey of Jesus is really the same for every one of us, for every believer who longs from deliverance, from human weakness, from, from human failure, and from our sin. Salvation belongs to those who know in their heart and confess on their lips that God raised Jesus from the dead. God has and will continue to rescue the believer from the death that is every stumbling, every human failure, every trial, and every wrestling with evil in all its seductive forms. We are a people on a journey, and in this holy season of Lent, God calls us to walk with Jesus into the wilderness to experience our solidarity with him who was tempted and, as the scripture says, was like us in all things but sin. And even though Lent is often portrayed as a grim period of fasting and, and penance, the sacred 40 days can be also a glorious experience. It can connect us with our ancestors in faith, from Moses and the ancient Israelites to Jesus of Nazareth, from Paul and Luke to countless believers who have come to know, and I again repeat the refrain, who have come to know in their heart and confess 
on their lips. That the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is there for us, regardless, regardless of how dead we might seem from every stumbling, every human failure, our lust for power and control, our seductive attraction to the false idols of wealth, comfort, status, recognition, and approval. Lent is not a period of grim penance and fasting. It's a period of hopefulness, of deepened faith in God's saving work in us. Lent is a time to experience deliverance as individuals and as a people together on the journey, deliverance from the death of petty lives and a rebirth that allows us to proclaim in solidarity with our faithful ancestors that the Lord did bring us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with terrifying display of power. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Neither bread nor status nor seductive power will save us. Let me conclude with a reference to Dostoevsky's Grand Inquisitor. It's a classic and well worth the effort to read as a commentary on the temptations of Jesus in the desert, in particular the one we just heard from Luke. This, is, this story is, is a bitter satire on the church. And it's actually a story that's extracted from um, his celebrated novel, The Brothers Karamazov. And when you read it, it just takes your breath away. Jesus returns unexpectedly to the city of Seville, where the Inquisition is going on. And the Cardinal Grand Inquisitor sees him, confronts him, imprisons him, and says to him, why have you come back? What are you doing? to hinder the work of the church that we've taken over since you left. And here the Grand Inquisitor goes through each of these three temptations and tells the silent Jesus that if he really loved his people, he would have fed them. And Jesus' response is, it's not enough that there is a material plenty in the world if we do not share and use the creation of wealth meaningfully, constructively, and with care. And the Grand Inquisitor says, if Jesus really loved his people, he would relieve their doubts and their fears with miracles. And Jesus teaches that salvation is not to be expected by some sort of divine intervention or divine miracle that bypasses human conversion. The Grand Inquisitor says that if he really loved his people, he would impose on them global authoritarian government because that's what the people want. That's what the people need. They need to be told what to do. Satan suggests that Jesus join forces with political powers as, as the best way for his mission to succeed. 
To you, the devil says, I will give glory and authority over all the kingdoms of the world, over all the kingdoms of the world. And the Grand Inquisitor says, if only you had done that. But Jesus teaches that it's not enough to have power to compel by domination because it's idolatrous to give unquestioning obedience to anything less than God. Instead, the Inquisitor laments to the silent Jesus, you left them freedom. What were you thinking? Yes, Jesus left them their freedom, a dubious gift at best. It will be only, as Paul writes, by our participation in Christ's own act of trust in God that we are truly free and delivered. For the word is near you, and on your lips, and in your hearts, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a famous line in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul says, for freedom Christ has set us free. So I encourage you, I invite you, I challenge you to take advantage of these 40 days, a time of discernment and prayer, a time of discipline and denial, a time of testing, and a time of true freedom. Amen.